Hello, and before I hand over to Sam for this week's news show, we can announce the very exciting news that tickets are available for a Halloween special of Fintech Insider After Dark, our live podcast in London on the 2nd of November. So if you're in London, you're going to want to find out. Tickets are free, but they will go very quickly. So register as soon as possible to guarantee your place. Just go to afterdark.11fs. Dot com. That's afterdark.11fs.com. And remember, fancy dress is strongly encouraged. See you there. Welcome to Fintech Insider News. We're coming to you live from the ICE condominiums in Toronto. This is our host. While we were in Canada this week, that was Canadian. Right, guys? Yeah. You can nod. It's not Canadian. Say house. <laughs> Say it, Dan. Say house. It. House. Welcome to our house. I'm Sam Mall. I'm a managing partner for North America here at 11FS. This week, we're doing a very special Canadian news story. And this is for one week only. Right now, we've got Michael, Ollie, and myself. We've been here for three days. I have learned that Ollie can cook like you wouldn't believe. We actually have a crowd in the house. House, crowd, clap, say something. Everybody. Yes. Uh, condo management is not pleased with us, but we've hit them as they've come up. Um, but again, I've learned Ollie can cook like you wouldn't believe. I've learned Michael can drink beer like you wouldn't believe. So it's been a fun week. We want to introduce our guests real quick for this show. So first off, we have a good friend of mine, Chris Hansen, who's the CTO of Coho. Hey, Chris. Hey. Um, Dan Eberhardt, who is the actual founder at Coho. Thanks for having me. All the way from Vancouver. We have Barb McLean, the legend for 11FS, Barb McLean from, yeah, she deserves a woo. Barb, who flew in from? Winnipeg. Yeah, I love that. And you're with? Solero. Solero. I called it Celerio, and I was wrong. Solero Solutions. Barb has contributed almost as much as some other guy whose name rhymes with Johnny, who might be sitting in here, um, to Finsick Insider News. And then last but not least, we have Zach Cohen, GM from Truly You. Happy to be here. You got it right <laughs> that time. Right That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Good week. We've been at Cybos for a couple of days. We got Money 2020 next week. Um, for us at 11FS, it's been a heck of a week. So we've had this team here in Toronto. We got a team that's headed to Madrid even as we speak. As we speak. As we speak. We've got uh, Helsinki coming up, which I'm jealous about that I'm not going to. Probably Charlotte. And I'll be in Vegas next week. So as usual, we're all over the world. But with that, let's dive into the stories that we've seen this week. The first one is from Finextra, and it talked about what happened here at Cybos, right down the street, about five minutes from here. A good friend of ours, Lita Galiptis, Dr. Lita Galiptis, works for the First National Bank of Qatar, I believe. She got up and was talking about the importance of APIs in the banking industry, and I like what Lita had told me, which was, I believe, three years ago, yet in a tribe, when she got up to talk about APIs, literally she had like three people to talk to. Because APIs weren't the thing and they weren't cool. Now, the room is packed out. So, Chris, you're the CTO in this group. When we talk about banking, when we talk about payments, did the banks actually know what the hell they're talking about when we talk APIs? And I'm asking a table full of fintech companies that have to integrate. That's, that's the, I think that's the key question. Like, so the, like I used to be uh, a chief architect on the bank side. And so now being on the fintech side, um, you know, I, I like the analogy in this article, like API or the highway, because an, an API really is like a highway. You're building a road into the into the back end systems, into the core systems of the bank. Uh, you know, the challenge with APIs in banking is like 
what are you actually building a road to? Sometimes it's a road to nowhere, right? Sometimes it's a road that, you know, it's a great road, but where you get is maybe not so great. You probably want to turn around and go back. I think you need to think about more than just the API. You need to think about the destination. You need to think about what you do when you get there, right? So great API, but, you know, if the core systems and if the if the platform is you know, faked out and everything's next day or, or everything is like kludged out. <laughs> like you're going to see it. You're going to, you, you might see it in the API. Um, you're definitely going to see it in what comes through the API. You know, you can tell by the data, right? If, if it's all truncated and garbage, um, not great. You know, so you got to think end to end. It's more, it's, it's more than just the API. It's about the end to end. Well, you know, it's a funny point, though, because we, we see hundreds and hundreds of APIs. And that I, would and be I, truly you that, uh, <laughs> that's talking right. about. That's, a, that's I, the only sales you get. So that's, that's it. No, but, but it's, it, it's funny because people say the word API and they think that it's all the same class, right? Oh, you have the API. Well, everything's perfect. No, no, no. Right? There's a maturity factor. There's a structure factor. And you're right. It's what comes out on the other end. And it can get very messy and there, there are different levels. And so yeah, definitely the API is the way to go. But exactly what that entails is going to be a very, very long road, I imagine. I think when you look at the and when you look at banks, so we're going to stick in the banking space right now. Um, I know Cap One has invested quite a bit into their API suite and opened it up, right, for developers to get into. BBVA, Shamir Karkle helped get Simple launched. Um, City, who else? Anyone else that you look at and you go, that's not too bad? I think that's the problem in the Canadian space, right? What what are the banks going to do? To get themselves further down that road. And how are the Canadian banks? Let's let's focus on it. So the big five, right? I would say, or do they actually get this? I mean, I think banks tend to convolute APIs and open data, and so whenever, in our experience, when we've talked to banks, there there is a big hesitancy for them to get involved in the open data conversation. But there's actually, to to Chris and Zach's point, a bunch of narrow applications for APIs which can be super useful. Uh, but we haven't really seen any interest or, or a lot of pickup in that conversation. So I like that you use the word open banking. So um, 11FS based out of London, so we got that European flair that we bring. We got PSD2 that is has to be implemented by January 2018. My understanding is most of the banks in Europe and in the UK are freaking out because they're not ready, is the word on the street that I'm hearing. So we've got PSD2 happening, and yet at the same time, we got GDPR. So we got two different regulations that seem to be butting heads against each other. With PSD2, the concept is open up the, the banking walls, if you will, and the customer data, for, specifically for companies like you. But then yet we see companies like Google and maybe Facebook that are getting screamed at, right, around the data side of this. Hey, audience, how you doing over there? Everybody having a good time? Excellent. Thumbs up. So it's the, the, what we're seeing in Europe cracks me up because it seems to be both sides of this. And the U.S. as usual, and I'm not sure about Canada, is looking at this going, I don't know. I seriously don't think we're going to have PSD2 implemented in the U.S., but something has to happen. Anybody know of a bank that actually allows you to onboard using your social credentials, like, say, a Facebook or a Google or anything like that? Because that API is not new, right? That's been there forever and a day. Yeah, me neither. I can't think of one. Maybe on our Pulse product, I'm allowed to sell because it's our podcast. On our Pulse product, we should take a look at that. Um, I know there's integration with Facebook, like N26 um, and some of the banks in Germany, but I'm not aware too much. I think ICI in India, the bank in India, I believe they've done some integration there. But so we'll see. So at the end of the day, our consensus is API is important. 
Not so sure how much the banks are grasping this? APIs are important. API is just the road. Um, what goes through the API, the quality of the process behind the API, that's pretty key. And you know what you do with it, I think, depends on what's behind the road. And I think just to add the the perception or the intention of the API, is this a sandbox where you can go and experiment or is this based on large scale execution and distribution? Do you have the sort of political and social buy-in to execute on a broader scale API strategy? All right. So our next story, I, I think we've um, <laughs> come to a con- consensus decision around banking and APIs. Second story is from Coindesk. It was submitted to um, Fintech Insider by Alex S. And it talks about Cybos and their complicated relationship with blockchain. For our listeners that aren't aware, Cybos is sponsored by SWIFT, that cutting edge uh, group around payments globally. And when it comes to blockchain, we've got some rather funny stuff happening in Toronto right now. And for those that uh, haven't seen this, Cybos is going on, Cybos annual conference. It's huge. Been in Toronto before. But when you walk out of the south entrance of Cybos and you step out, there's all these black cars lined up that have the Ripple logo all over them. Ripple Right, because Ripple has a conference called Swell that's going on just down the road, and it's like this big middle finger that's declared <laughs> right outside um, when it comes to this. And I find it funny because I don't think Swift took it all that great either, which is funny because Ripple has a massive booth at the conference. They've run out of a lot of space, yet they're throwing a conference the exact same days with guests like Ben Bernanke, Sir Tim Berners Lee, um, Vikram Vitalik. I mean, they have got a great lineup for the small conference down the road. So I think we're, uh, we're seeing some interesting budding of heads between the blockchain space, um, companies like maybe Ripple and another company that has three letters in its name that I won't say their name, but they're really kind of cool and kind of big and maybe have this big AI component. And Swift, do, do you guys think that when it comes to particularly banking, especially on the payments and the real side, <laughs> don't laugh when I ask this, that they get blockchain and actual implementations for those? I'll open it up to the room. Anybody do, actually mean, believe like, that? Does Swift get it? Does, does Swift actually get it? And do the banks actually get it? Because we've been talking about blockchain now for how many years? About two and a half years has been the big buzz. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the, the banks want to get it. And, and they want to, like, so I, I spent quite a bit of time working with banks and taking, like, you know, use cases and applying blockchain. And there, there's some things that blockchain is, is really potentially pretty good at. I think, you know, people in the banks get it. Some of them go off on like the math and crypto tangent, which, which is not as useful, I think, as getting into the use case and trying to figure out like, how do you actually apply this technology in a way that's interesting, in a way that's useful? Um, so I think they get it intellectually and being able to execute it and, and actually do something with it as I, I think it's something completely different. If you've ever tried to get like multi-organizational units of a bank all kind of working together around a single technology. That's what we're talking about with, with a private blockchain launch. And it's really painful just to even order the coffee, like let alone get everybody on the same platform. So I got a real life example of that. We have a large US bank, by large, I mean large, that is interested in working with us. Um, and actually they want us to, to come in and uh, on this very topic on blockchain to do some work for them. And the email they sent us made me smile because this is an internal meeting that they started talking about in May of this year, targeted for 2018. It's a meeting to talk about strategy around blockchain. You all do grasp that, right? It is October something, 18th, 19th, I have no idea. To arrange a meeting, to get the right people at the table, 
you were just talking about this, Chris. You, how many releases yeah. have you done since we've been at Cybos? So, I mean, in uh, at Coho, we've we've had uh, we had three releases last week. We'll have three. Or we had two releases last week. We'll have three this week. Um, you know, we're just moving at a completely different pace than than you know what I've seen on the bank side. And I was involved in a public blockchain project where, like, you know, a handful of people and I contributed as developers around a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks for the core development. That launched and it, it, it developed a market capitalization and has a whole community around it. Like, it, it doesn't take a lot to make, a, to make a big change with financial services technology. It just takes doing it rather than, you know, talking about it, orchestrating, synergizing. Like, we, we need to actually do stuff and create stuff and launch it. There are there is talent. I think when it comes to blockchain, though, you also have the fight for talent, which is huge. And um, we've seen this yesterday during our podcast that we had. We had Joe Lang from IBM, and we've known Joan. She's a friend of the podcast. Knows Simon Taylor really well, and she's brilliant, right? She had worked at R three. IBM has her now. We can look at Ripple. We interviewed the CEO of Ripple yesterday. They've got some brilliant talent there. We look at what's happening with R three. Um, and my my personal bet isn't within the banking space itself. It's with their partners. I think that's where they're going to see more success. Um, I think I find it rather interesting. Um, you look at J.P. Morgan Chase. They have Amber Baldet. Anybody ever seen Amber? Know her? Here's why I love Amber Baldet. She works for Jamie Dimon, the same guy who said that if you're in Bitcoin, you're a fool and stupid and you fire your ass. Yet he has Amber Baldet, who leads his um, cryptocurrency work. Amber is maybe 30 years old. She's got a tattoo sleeve. I say that right, kids. Not, like, come yeah, on, Dan. Did I say that? <laughs> That's what they're called? Yeah, so the, the whole thing, right? The cool mermaid hair, dresses like in the 50s. Her cool factor is off the charts, and she's leading cr- cryptocurrency efforts and blockchain efforts at Chase. And I'm wondering how restricted she actually is. So, Amber, if you'd come on this damn show, I would love to talk about that. And yet, again, yesterday with Joe Lang here and her background in blockchain, I was I look at that and say, That's excellent talent. I think, I think the reliance is going to be on the partners when it comes to that, which actually it's a good story. And Barb, I don't know why you volunteered for this one. Maybe because you submitted this like every other story to Fintech Insider some, News. Some of them, right. So, I mean, the story that we're going to talk about here is the Bank of Canada um, and their Project Jasper that they've been working on now for the last year or so. And they're trying to figure out how they can work back with the banks um, and some of the industry partners on what sort of proof of concepts are they going to prove out here for, to your point, Chris, the use cases that are actually going to take hold? And so they're working on the third phase now of this project, which is to do some automation of security settlement. So they want to create an integrated securities and payments platform in conjunction with some unnamed, undisclosed vendor. So, you know, based on the past phases that they've had, um, you know, they came out this summer and said, you know, it seems like interesting to us, but is really not ready for prime time. Well, is it the technology that's not ready or is it is it Payments Canada and the banks that aren't ready is really my question. So not a lot of information I don't think was disclosed on how they're planning to roll out this next proof of concept and the timing on it, right? So I think what you were alluding to, Chris, is people are thinking about it and people are trying things, but they don't seem to actually have a goal to get to production implementation. They just want to have a news release and disclose it there first. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, Bank of Canada has been an early mover on this. I mean, they, they launched Mint Chip, which was a fiat-backed, digital currency, um, you know, I would say before blockchain was even cool, 
Um, but then, you know, they, they kind of pulled back and, and, you know, spun it out, sold it off. You know, so my concern with them is not their ability to come up with great ideas and, and have, you know, have an initial launch. I'd love to see some follow through on some of these ideas, you know, Project Jasper, Mint Chip, you know, things like, things like this. Let's, let, let's see some follow through. Let's actually implement some stuff. And, you know, let's do what, what other regions are doing and actually show the world how this can actually work. The challenge with blockchain is I think everybody, you know, everybody thinks it's BS until they actually see something running in production in scale. But people are hesitant outside of the, the cryptocurrency platforms are hesitant to really sort of launch something real in the industry. I think we just have to do it and, and follow through. So I'm, I'm curious because we, I don't think we've done a show focused on Canada, right? Ollie's saying no. He's thinking back. We've done 170 shows. How have we not done a show on Canada yet? So I'm going to look at the two, two guys down at the end of the table. So Dan, um, Zach, I'm looking to you because you both run companies, especially Zach, in your case, with truly you, a lot of your customers are banks, right? I know it's globe. How many countries? Go ahead. I'll give you that. 80 plus. Yeah, and county. Right, now you're not allowed to brag anymore. <laughs> but that's who you integrate with. So move beyond blockchain, just working with banks, period. And I'm going to, let's start with the Canadian side. How easy is it actually? Is it, is it, we're, we're complaining. Oh, you left. Okay. Move next question. How, how, I mean, what is it like? What's the atmosphere like? No, I mean, I think the, the issue is that it's, it's the legacy infrastructure and the complexity of the systems and the number of people makes implementing an overarching solution for banks very difficult. And so I was, I was sort of thinking when you guys were talking, I go, what was the last big technological advancement that we've seen? For banks, like how tech isn't new. We've always released new tech. There's always been new things in the market, but how often do we actually see them implemented in real life? And when are they? So, you know, the only thing I can think of is now I can go to a bank machine and I don't have to use an envelope anymore. I just insert the cash and the checks and they automatically scan them. And I'm so, wow, this is amazing. You use cash and checks? Right, exactly. And there, there you go. Yeah, what am I doing with cash and checks? Yeah, what is that? I know. So, I mean, it's just so far behind. So, you know, what really pushes those are either two things, in my mind, from what I've seen. And that's a regulatory change because you're going to get fined 4% of your global turnover if you don't do it. Or... Um, it's a consumer demand, is it, as in you're bleeding customers or they're all going somewhere else where finally you have to actually do something. And so all, all these conversations that they have, I think you get called out if you don't, if you aren't talking about it, if no one's studying it, you're really going to be in hot water. But how many times do we actually see action? Women? So is working with the banks difficult? Is it slower than, let's say, a startup payments company that's global, you know, or an e-commerce company? Yeah, of course. But are they actively engaged? Yes. And for us, are there pieces that we can do in, in, you know, with one business case that actually works and then you can use and prove that out across the industry? Yeah, but man, it's tough. Let me, let me throw something out there because we had this conversation. Um, for what's, what I find interesting, prior to coming to this trip, so I'm with, again, Ollie and Michael. I could be their dad in age. I, I could. That could be my kids, all right? We were planning this out. We're coming to Toronto. And I jokingly said, oh, my God, it's going to be weekend at Bernie's, right? I'm going to be the, the guy who's, like, getting dragged around with these two guys. Here's what I've loved. I have been in my pajamas at 8 o'clock almost every night. No, not every night. Not almost. We have been in it. Yes, we have. We have been sitting around, either watching TV or talking. So I think it was two nights ago. We're sitting in this area where y'all are, right? Our, our great crowd. And I think the question was asked, what is it going to take to make the next big thing when it comes to banking? right? What would be the catalyst to do it? And I threw out there another 2008. I, I, I think another major crash. 
because a lot of us say, what was the kickstart for fintech besides mobile coming in and everything? It was the world imploding. But if this is a Canadian-focused show, we were very well insulated from that incident here, right? So I'm, I'm moving know, to Canada. That's it. I'm done. We would collectively say that you know we felt an impact from that. Certain areas did, certain regions did, yes, but not to the extent that the rest of the world did. Would you consider, and take this in the right way, table full of fintech um, disruptors, Canada leading edge when it comes to technology and fintech? I'm looking at you, Dan. The short answer is I would say no. I, I don't think we are. Um, I mean, Canada, uh, for, for coming through 2008 very well because of heavily protected and regulated and often oligopoly-based system, um, we, we as consumers have paid some sort of dollar prices for that in terms of the account fees we pay, in terms of the technology we have to integrate with. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think Canada is at the beginning of its fintech life cycle. If you look at what other markets have done 24 or 36 months ago, it's, it's where Canada is now. You know what, though? There's no shortage of ideas. Sure. The fact is, though, is But that in the industry-wide, there's no shortage of ideas. Execution's that's right. everything. That's right. Execution's everything. But, you know, it's also, you know, anyone, you know, the U.S. market and U.S. citizens are so much more willing to um, adopt new technologies. There's been studies out there that Canadians are slower to adopt new tech. They're, they're less likely to use it. At McDonald's in the U.S. How many of us absolutely expects the pizza yeah. delivery guy yeah. to bring I'm, his contact? I am 100% calling complete bullshit on what you just said. So really? Here's why. I've seen it. I know. No, here's why. Um, when you look at mobile wallet penetration in the U.S., holy crap. When I look at contactless adoption in Australia, I believe 86, 87% contactless adoption for payments over there. When you look at the adoption of what's going on in the U.K. right now, we got Monzo, Starling, Tandem, Adam. Uh, Metro, what other banks haven't I thrown out there? The number of banking licenses granted. When was the last banking license granted in the U.S.? One in Texas oh, that you never heard of. <laughs> um, Walmart tried to get one. Facebook talked about it. Uh, SoFi was going to, and then their CEO was an asshole, and it didn't happen. Now they've imploded and backed off. Uh, the U.S., we are very good at adopting some tech, but it, I, to me it follows east to west. Yes, Chris? I mean, I would like, you know, I... I kind of worked in both markets for a while there and, and you know, after the, after the crisis. And like one of the things that I really noticed is that, you know, during the crisis and afterwards, Canadian banks continued to focus on innovation, whereas like a lot of the U.S. banks had to deal with this fragmented regulatory response, right? So after the crisis in the U.S., the, the regulators kind of came in and like every regulator from every corner had some little report that they wanted. So I go and ask the banks, like, well, what are, you, what are you working on? And they said, we're doing all these reports. I go to Canada. I said, what are you guys working on? Well, we're, we're trying to reinvent digital money. Right. So I think that there's, you know, the, the, because Canada kind of stayed the course, there's just much less of that kind of regulatory only uh, activity. So, so Ollie, with our little group, because we have an audience in this flat right now, which is awesome. So I'm going to wander over there for a minute because you hit on a point, especially on the reporting compliance side that I want to touch on. All right. So by uh, this is a guess for this group over here because you're all geniuses. OK. 2004, what do you think was the average number of pages of new regs that were going to banks on a daily basis that they had to review? Just a guess. 200. 200 a day? In 2004, 10. 10? 10 average in 2004. What do you think it is today? Probably close to 187. You're very close. That's why City has over 30,000 compliance officers. So when we get excited and we talk about reg tech, if I was doing a startup right now, 
oh my God, on the reporting side, Chris, that you just talked about, we're talking about, about taking data and just generating reports. There's a company called Suede Labs. It was actually just um, presenting right here. The founder, Diana Paradis, actually worked at Barclays with Simon Taylor, one of our founders, who has got a, a um, she's working on a protocol on data normalization. I think she calls it FIRE, right? Holy Man, if I had some Bitcoin, I'd invest in her. But I was not <laughs> smart enough to buy Bitcoin. I was an idiot. I talked about it, but didn't do it. And I should have. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the, you know, part of the problem is not, not just that they've got all these regulatory questions and regulatory reports that, that they've had. It's, it's how they've reacted to that. Like many banks have, like for every question that came in and, and albeit they came in sequentially, they spun up a new project, spun up a new system. That's a whole separate kind of response. You know, we, we had some regulatory uh, questions at Coho. You know, somebody had some questions about, you know, some, some reports. I went to, we got like one table that's got like everything in it that I could ever need. I pulled one, I pulled one extraction. I said, well, how about if I just give you this and it answers all of your 10 questions? And they said, okay, fine. Right. So if, if, had they done it right and, and sort of consolidated the data in a way that made sense as opposed to sort of reacting to every question, they, they'd be in a completely different position. Right it now. actually ties back to your very first comment when we talked about APIs. It's a road that goes somewhere, but one where and how much data, yeah, what am I actually getting when I do the calls and the value in it? So, so one more story before we, we shoot the break. So Dan, I'm actually coming to you because I do like this. We're talking about fintech story in Bloomberg saying that fintech is still hot and the past quarter was great. I'll give you a shout out. You raised what? Eight million, I think. Yeah. That's what, you should drink a beer. You, you, you raised eight million. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, what's your thought on this when you look at this? I mean, I, so personally, I was really encouraged to see this. I think that um, there was a there was a hype cycle that we saw in fintech, and I think that really kind of peaked in tw late 2016. And I think people were expecting the type of adoption curves that you see with sort of more traditional technologies. Um, but the fact that fintech investment is still continuing to grow, and if you actually look at and dive deep on the nature of those investments, it's 20 million plus is the fastest growing sector of fintech. These are bets that are made to compete with the existing infrastructure. So when I read this, I was, it was really encouraging to me in terms of uh, not, just, not just coming through sort of a bit of a downturn in fintech investment, but in terms of uh, sustainable, real businesses that are getting built into in fintech. So I'm curious, especially when we come to Canada, what do you think are the hot sectors? Because it traditionally has been payments and lending, right? I mean, do you think this is shifting? Obviously, Chris, we talked about blockchain until we were blue in the face. What areas do you think are the hot ones? Or is it still just the traditional payments lending? I think that's still what's important to the consumer, right? If you're not answering that problem, then you're not going to get funded either. And to me, those are the things that are still interesting enough to build a solution around. So, so here's my view. Shocking that I have an opinion on this, right? <laughs> so here, but here's my view. Because if, 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 we've, we've had uh, uh, Matt Harris, who leads Bain Capital's investment. He's been doing this since 2002, and he's like the godfather of VCs. We had Mike Siegel actually sitting in your seat there, Barb, from uh, 500 Fintechs. And I've talked to them about it. And when they do talk about like AI or blockchain, it's not in the consumer-facing, if you will, side of it. It's in the boring back office, day-to-day -day drudge reporting and everything else where they're actually the most excited about. 
when we talk about like reg tech, right? Well, that's what I was going to say, actually, is that I was, I wasn't was going to try and promote myself since it's off limits, You're allowed but... because we got two minutes. You get a two-minute <laughs> window to no, promote. I mean, no, I mean, I just think that reg tech is the brand. If you're going to... If you're it's gonna... Trulio a reg tech Yeah, it just might be. Oh, well, ever right. since uh, Kim Hong coined it, uh, you know, she, <laughs> she takes credit. Um, but I, I think that if you if you count reg tech as part of fintech, which you often do, you know, the biggest partnerships are all these financial technologies trying to launch and reg tech supports that. But there's just so much regulatory back-end issues going on that it's a huge, huge cost saver and it allows everybody to scale and it actually allows a lot of these fintechs to take off. So I would, I absolutely agree. I think the reg tech's a huge one and that's also supporting a lot of that, that growth. And here's why I, I see it from my old consulting days and working with banks. When you look at the big players, especially in the U.S., they're not exactly hurting. Quarter after quarter, they're, they're killing it. And actually, in June of this year, I'll go to my crowd over here. I like going to the crowd, all right? Actually, you, Dean Wallace, so I used to work with the thesis. In June of 2017 in the U.S., what was the highest performing sector on the New York Stock Exchange? Banking. Say banking. <laughs> banking. Banking. Oh, say it again. Banking. banking. Banks, banks killed it. Number one blew the market away in the U.S., that the large-scale banks are still killing it stateside. Here's what I would argue. The way that they were doing it, not necessarily was all innovation. It was cost-cutting, right? Is staff, what's the easiest way to reduce your costs? It's the opposite of what y'all are doing. It's reducing staff, right? It's shutting down different business units and consolidating, but you can only do that so far. Now, so I think where that's where that back office side of this, the interesting component, of a lot of the solutions that the fintech community is providing. I think that's where it's great. And on that note, we need to take a break because the Cervace that Ollie made. Did I say that right, Ollie? How do you say it, Ollie? <laughs> Ceviche. Ceviche. God. The shrimp things, I think, are actually now ready to eat and we need a break. So we're going to take a break here from our sponsors and we're going to eat Ceviche. Everybody get a new beer, please. Right. That's halfway mark. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the innovation acceleration platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.terminos.com. All right, thanks as always to our sponsors. And and quickly, before we get back into the news, we just wanted to say, because we say this on every show, do we not, Ollie? But I'm going to say it maybe in a different voice this time. We never have enough time to cover every news story that's happened in the last week on this show. But don't forget, you can now head over to fintechinsidernews.com to read more about the stories we have discussed and many more besides. Laura is going to kill me for doing this, but it makes me happy. Listeners, just go with me here. You can also sign up and join the discussion with everyone on the podcast and many other fantastic names from the fintech world, like a guy's name who sounds like Johnny, who's hiding in the other room, and Barb McLean. Tell us what you think of this week's stories. We love the feedback. That's fintechinsidernews.com or tweet us at fintechinsiders on Twitter. Or find us on Facebook. And you never know, you might fly in from Winnipeg and be on the show. Right, Barb? That's right. It is a dream it come is. true. <laughs> we feed you. We give you gummy bears. You're drinking Nerdengeiger beer, whatever that is. 
All right. So one thing I think was a great suggestion at our break from a guest that shall not be named, and we're going to call him Johnny. Setting, eh, here is the laughter. Setting the scene on, on Canada. We just dove right in with the four of you, but we really didn't talk about what the Canadian market really is like, both from a consumer standpoint, because we kind of went there, right? We were talking about um, adoption of technology. But there's the, the geo side of this, right? How, how the country's kind of set up when it comes to tech. Um, for example, Dan, Zach, you, your company is based out of Vancouver. We've got Toronto as a, as a center, right? And then, Barb, you've got Winnipeg. Where the heck is that? I don't know. I know it's in the middle-ish. Is it I'm Paris? Thinking? Paris of the Prairies? Or is that Saskatchewan? I can't yeah, I remember. don't think that's it. <laughs> I, I can name like four other cities. And then I, and I Windsor, Toronto, Quebec City, and Calgary. And I fall off because I just go to hockey. Can, um, let's start with Vancouver. And Dan, I'll start with you because you have a company that's based out of Vancouver. How would you describe the the fintech or tech scene in Vancouver? Comparatively, when I think about it in Toronto, I would say that it is it's different in a few ways. It's it's earlier stage companies, um, and it, it's further away from sort of the the core financial payments type of fintech. So guys like Trulio, uh, we have uh, FinAI, which is doing chatbot stuff. So it's it's further away from sort of functional central uh, processes to banking. I mean, I, when we started in Vancouver, we loved it because we were figuring out what video game designers would do when they were building a banking app, right? And so we deliberately sort of wanted to distance ourselves from Toronto and from traditional sort of bank banking thinking. Um, we've since, in the last two weeks, actually moved to Toronto. So we are setting up our Toronto office now um, and doing a lot of the hiring as we continue to kind of expand because you also do need that payments infrastructure. So here I got to ask. So for Vancouver and moving to Toronto. So besides the Chris Hansen factor for yeah, that. Which was a big one. There's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. So don't mess that with Chris. Yeah, Chris is like, I'm not. how many times have you moved from Vancouver to Toronto now, Chris? I moved to Toronto twice. Okay. Yeah. Once always, on a dare. Always. <laughs> I came to Toronto on a dare and I'm still here. What were some of the factors for you looking at that and moving to Toronto? Is it basically talent? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's certainly a big part of it is talent. I think proximity matters, and there's a lot of great fintech companies in in Toronto. There's Drop and Well Simple and Sensibil, and the list goes on and on. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're believers in integration within the fintech community, and so it's it's just harder to do that when you're three hours behind and a five hour flight away. Um, so it, it's really about partnerships and talent. So. The other thing I, I learned about Vancouver and I was out there, and this is actually the first time I met Dan. And, and Chris and I were working for a not-for-profit or working with a not-for-profit called Digital Finance Institute, which is out of Vancouver with Christine Duheim. I, I learned that Vancouver is kind of the gateway to China. And this is where it gets interesting, Zach, because we're going to talk about Truly You, your KYC AML, right, solution provider. And yet when we talk about Vancouver, I was talking to a Canadian Mountie, which sounds Nowhere near as cool as it actually was at the time. <laughs> but he was telling me how Vancouver is really like the, um, from North America, not just Canada. It is the money laundering capital of North America, right? Go figure. <laughs> and why is that? Explain that to our listeners there. Hey, well, I think you'd have to work in a compliance office at the bank to get the bottom of that one. But, um, you know, I, listen, there's a lot of um, transfer. It's, a, it's known as a great place to be. And it's known as a great place to put money because it's safe and it's secure and it's beautiful and all those great things. So I listen, I, I think I don't know why it's become such a big center, um, but I definitely have heard similar comments uh, that there is a huge, huge cash infusion all the time going to Vancouver. And I think anyone that lives there can see it day to day. Yeah, yeah I saw it. I saw the Ferraris pulling up at the hotel and the yeah. 20-year-old getting out of it, right? Yeah, Dan? And I think that... that- 
relates into the the fintech conversation because it is really hard to retain talent in Vancouver where your income or your cost of living is increasing so rapidly when people can go to Toronto or Hamilton or, or San Francisco, wherever that happens to be, um, and, and they have kids and they're, you're looking for senior talent. It's hard to find that in Vancouver. That's yeah. where the VC comes in. Yeah. We just, yeah. you know, plug up that. <laughs> this is something I actually think is funny, though, Zach, because, uh, again, uh, Vancouver-based, right? Yep. And yet your marketing director, Kim Hong, who's hiding over here. Hi, Kim. And you think you're not going to be on. Yeah, too bad. Um, so you've gone from originally San Diego to Vancouver. Now you're in San Francisco, yes. right? Did you move to San Francisco because the cost of living is so much cheaper? <laughs> uh, no. I didn't think so. <laughs> but do you see a lot of similarities between San Francisco and Vancouver? I'd be curious on that. Do you yeah, see it? I mean, I think, first of all, when you're, you know, Working at the same time, so it, you know, I think Vancouver attracts a lot of great talent, but also I find that a lot of developers, we, we have all of our developers in Vancouver, and then we have our sales and marketing team outside of. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, Chris, now I'm curious, I'm going to come back to you, because you are the guy that for some reason keeps coming back to Toronto. How would you describe Toronto when it comes to, let's say with fintech and banking, for our listeners that aren't familiar with it? It's the big, what, big five banks, I think? Yeah, I mean, you got the big five banks here. I would say that Toronto is more, you know, capital FIN fintech and, you know, Vancouver is more kind of tech fin. You know, it's, it's much more tech centric. You get some really cool connections between Vancouver and the Valley. Um, Toronto has some, you know, strong connections between New York and, you know, being the financial core of Canada. There's a lot of stuff going on, uh, you know, from a fin perspective in Toronto. Um, so I, you know, I, I can see the advantages of, of both markets. I think, you know, Toronto's a bit bigger. So there, there, there's just generally, um, you know, a bit more action here. And, uh, you know, I, I keep getting pulled back in here mostly for, you know, interesting things that are happening in Canada. And, and when it comes to financial services, um, there's just a lot of stuff going on here. There's a, there's a lot of velocity in this market. So I, I, I kind of like that. Is it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, here in Toronto, you also have Mars, right? Isn't that the big, right. uh, how would you describe Mars for listeners? Is it like the big fintech accelerator or hub or center? Center, I think, is yeah. great because it's a bit of all of the above, as I understand it. You know, there, there, there are kind of accelerator elements, and, and, but it is a hub. It's a, they, they've developed quite a community around, around fintech. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, they're trying to build a community, right? Yeah, so uh, what's interesting when you did the capital fin and the capital tech comparison between Vancouver and Toronto, you kind of described the U.S. Because San Francisco would be big tech, small fin, and New York would be big fin, small tech. I said that right. I've had beers. Yes, I did say that right. Right? <laughs> Silicon Alley versus Silicon Alley, right, between the two. So from a comparison standpoint, you're comparing Vancouver to San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. And Toronto, like New York. Interesting. That East Coast. I do think it's a fair comparison. I, I, I also think like, um, just around the conversation about cost of living, like I think, you know, Toronto has a high cost of living. Uh, Vancouver has a, has a really high cost of living. Um, I actually did look at moving to San Francisco for, uh, you know, reduced real estate costs, which seems crazy it coming does, from Vancouver, yeah. knowing how expensive San Francisco is. Uh, but you know, I, I think in, in general in Canada, we, we have that challenge. But, you know, at least in Toronto, there is, you know, kind of a larger market and it's, a, there's a bit more just geography here. So you can, you know, if somebody doesn't want to live right in the center and pay those prices, they can, you know, take a subway ride out a few stops and, and it's a little bit lower. All right. So Barb, 
the Barb McLean, the legend within the halls of 11FS, Winnipeg, right, is where? Right smack dab in the middle. So um, like the Kansas of uh, Nebraska? It, it literally is right beside the geographical center of North America. So I have to ask then, your company is, I mean, you're from Winnipeg, right? I'm actually not from Winnipeg. I'm from a smaller place. Brandon, Manitoba. Shout out. So, I mean, I'm a very... <laughs> Two people just went, woo! <laughs> I'm a a very small town prairie girl here in in the very big city here in Toronto, right? And I mean, the folks have said it here, the action is in Toronto, the action is in in Vancouver, but there's a whole lot of country in between. You know, Dan talks about uh, dealing with, you know, three time zones. We've got six coast to coast, right? We've got 4,000 plus kilometers to deal with. And, you know, some of the smallest, uh, you know, number of people per square kilometer of anywhere in the world. And, you know, where I come from, one of the most inhospitable climates <laughs> that you can possibly find. We deal with a 60 degree Celsius swing winter to summer. And Winnipeg uh, maybe is only surpassed by Saskatchewan as a whole as the place in Canada that probably gets made fun of. So, what the heck am I doing on FinTech Insiders today, right? But you look at the, the clients that we tend to deal with, and it's the places where the bigger banks have actually literally abandoned, right? There's places that we deal with that don't have high-speed internet still, and they're very reliant upon those physical branch networks. That's a, oh, Wait a minute. Let's go back. I love that point, right? You're talking about places where... Uh, the reason I like that point, and this is what Chris and I did with, with DFI, right? When we, with Digital Finance Institute, a lot of, there's a lot of focus on the refugee crisis from Syria. And, and really, it's more than Syria. The world right now, we're at a, a tipping point, over 60 million displaced people in the world. It's the highest number since World War II, right? So we're talking, it's ridiculous what we're seeing. So it's more than Syria, it's globally. And it's so funny because when we first started, Chris, right, blockchain was one of the things we talked about. How do we get people into the financial uh, institutions? And we talked a lot about blockchain. And we met with the IRC, International Rescue Committee in New York, and they were hilarious because here's what they said. You are thinking way too technical and complicated on this. You've got to think about solutions where basically you're going back 100 years, or Winnipeg, from what you just said, by the way. You said it, not right? me. Well, there is no... <laughs> no hey, no. you know what? I'm oh, leaving no. tomorrow. <laughs> I'm okay. They're not going to stop me at the border. I'm not sure if anyone will let you back after that. <laughs> yeah. When does this episode go out? Is it Monday? <laughs> yeah, Ollie hid in the room. But really, I mean, it was those. It was like, you've got to quit thinking of you know, uh, solutions where you have to think about 100 years ago, right? Where you are actually hand-walking the equivalent of cash or whatever for that. But what I find interesting when you talk about Winnipeg, and we just described... Um, Canada, because we we kind of we equated Vancouver to San Francisco, Toronto to New York, and Winnipeg. I would actually somewhat tie to Jacksonville, where I live. Okay, now we have beautiful weather. There is no extreme, right? And it's actually a large city. It's the largest landmass city in the U.S. And none of you knew that, but it is. Jacksonville's huge. But what's interesting about Jacksonville is we've seen a within banking this this concept of anti-San Francisco and New York because the cost of living is massive. The cost for talent in San Francisco within the tech community, did you know that there's programmers who actually have agents? Johnny does. Johnny, who shall not be named, knows this. There are actually agents. If you're an outstanding developer in San Francisco, you don't work for a company. Yeah, I'm getting another nod from the, from the room, right? You don't work for a company. You, you, you are a mercenary. 
You come in, you dip in on a project, and you go out. And just like in sports, they literally have agents for excellent developers. And John Ballantyne right now is the saddest person I've ever seen because you and I don't know how to code. (laughs) And we'd be making this money. Way too right. But, I mean, that's the reality there. So we're seeing this backlash against San Francisco and New York, if you will. And we're seeing hubs build around Dallas, Texas. Cost of living is nothing. Austin. Jacksonville, where I live, we have incredibly large campuses for City, Deutsche Bank, Bank of America, Wells, Fiserv, FIS. Why? Cost of living is nothing. You live on the beach. It's quite nice. You have an international airport that you can fly in. And we don't have weather that swings flipping 60 degrees. It's always 95 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> where I live. I was just going to say, a final point on that is that I think that's, um, you see that in Canada too, by the way. Little little hubs in Halifax, little hubs everywhere else, where close to universities, uh, burgeoning tech, you know, communities, and you see that I think everywhere. And I, and I just want to finally say, I think that's the cool, like, off topic, but the coolest thing about the businesses we all work in, right? And we talk about whether it's better to be a fintech in Toronto or a fintech in Vancouver. The truth is, is that today it's the only age in history where every single person has the same opportunity to create something magical, and the tech behind it, and the communities are so. I mean, we're online, right? I mean, that's how we build our businesses, and that's how the communities can be. You can find so many resources online today to build your own community. And yes, it's great to be here and to, and to go down the street and to have that, that fusion. And yes, the tech hubs are growing. But um, I just think it's so cool that you can do this stuff everywhere. Well, we, we have that 11FS. So I'm going to brag. It's our podcast. I can say it. Um, we have the sense of community. Barb, we've never met, but we know each other. Uh, Johnny, who shall not be named, right? We've, we've never met. And yet you say you're not a hugger. And yeah, we love you too, Johnny. We'll have to disguise his voice, right? It'll sound like, I love you all. Um, but we do. We have that sense of community, right? Globally within FinTech Insider News, right? As, as if we know you. Barb. My colleagues will be shocked to know I hugged somebody the first time I met him. I know. I hugged him too, but I come up to his knee. <laughs> so it looked rather awkward. But I, I agree. That sense of community can do it. I actually like what Ben Milan, who's the uh, founder of Douala in the U.S. Do you guys know where Douala is based out of? Iowa. Des Moines, isn't it? Iowa. Des Moines, right? Their first... One of their first investors was a local credit union whose charter allowed them to invest. Wade Arnold, great friend of this, uh, of, of our podcast, um, had a company called Bano, Iowa. Because reality is, as long as you got Wi-Fi or Internet, who cares? Really? I mean, they're, they're, like you said, the cost of entry keeps going down. Um, and and yeah, I find that fascinating. I mean, I, I think in Canada, we even have an advantage. Like, the winters are pretty cold, Sam. Like we get some, you know, and where, where I grew up in northern Alberta, it, it got down to minus 55 degrees Celsius. And like when it's that cold, like you're going to learn to code. <laughs> I was like, I, I was just had like, beer come out my nose. <laughs> I was coding because it was either that or I was shoveling the snow. I was like, hey, I'm coding here. Right. So like, we're, like we, we turn out some great tech in Canada. Uh, I think some of it has to do with uh, with the harsh winters. I mean, also the Nordics. Like the Nordics have some great. The Nordics, I agree. Winters are cold, yeah. right? Well, you know, I'm I'm not saying anything against Florida, Sam. You know, I think Florida's uh, it's okay. nice. That's a whole other uh, uh, talk. Um, <laughs> we have great meth labs. Fantastic meth labs. Some, some, some of, the of the best, best I've heard in the world, right? Um, yeah. So a, a deserved shout out. So let's do it. So Dan, you get the shout out because the first time we met. You were on that motorcycle that was going down the road. <laughs> no, the first time we met a couple of years ago, right, with Chris, the, the concept of Coho was in your head, right? But not a launched product. You launched your product in March March of this year. Yeah. Business Insider, huge friends of this podcast, right? Um, we have them on the show all the time. They had an article, 50 best 
um, challenger banks or neo banks in the world, Coho made the list. However, correct me if I'm wrong, how many challenger banks are there in, in Canada? One. He held up a finger. It wasn't his middle one. <laughs> one. Yeah. You. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a really good question. I, we, we love the fact that there's only one as far as we're concerned. Um, I, I think that it comes to, to Canadians thinking of their banks more of utilities than rather than sort of corporate competitive entities. I think that people th- grow up with a bank in the same way they grow up with a hydro company. Um, and so this, this whole notion was relatively foreign when we launched, you know, in March, certainly. But even when we were raising capital two years ago, people, this just wasn't a thing people did. Here's the funny part. Most of the, your listeners, you don't know this. Dan, what was your background? What did you do before, before the banking? Wind energy. Yeah, I like how you said hydro there, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was a utility. So you have a utility background, and now you've built a challenger bank. Yeah, I find that fascinating because we look at, we actually have four Brits in this room. One, two, we had Dean, John, Ollie. I didn't know there was Michael. a limit, Sam. Is there a limit? <laughs> <laughs> there is in this room. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all need to leave. Uh, again, we talked about this a little bit, but in the UK right now, I mean, I can do the list, right? Monzo, Adam, Tandem, Starling. Who else have we had in the show? Uh, Metro, we can keep going, right? Tide. Tide. I mean, there are so many challenger banks that are coming up there. Yet in the U.S., what's that? An alternative. An alternative banks, right? Yet in the U.S., I'm I'm trying to think. You got neo banks though. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Neo banks and they're different though. Yeah, I would say a neo bank is completely. Yeah, they're not a bank because they sit on top of a bank. Yeah. I like simple. I love Shamir, right? We have friends that have done this, but the reality is it's a front end. Shut up, Ollie. <laughs> He's laughing. But they're, they're banks. They're, they're not banks. They're the front end that is sitting on top of a bank. I don't consider that a, a neo bank, right? Or a challenger bank. I think actually we had this, we had this discussion yesterday when we had um, the, the group that was in here with, we had a couple of VCs um, in here. We had Dion Lyle from uh, Capgemini, who was a fintech. Um, we had Mike Siegel again, from 500 fintechs, and then we had Joe Lang from IBM, and we were talking about this, and we were passionately talking about blockchain and cryptocurrencies and changing the world and everything else. And I actually raised my hand and said, I got to be blunt, 99% of the world doesn't give a shit about what you're talking about. Honestly, doesn't. I know we're excited, but they're not. And the problem is you do need that adoption level, right? When, when I was talking about the U.S. and what we adopt, I'll tell you what adopt. We'll adopt a living tar out of Facebook. Yeah. Good for them. Well, we had that talk yesterday here at, at Cybos. I think it's 1.8 billion, a billion active users a day to look at, you know, the fact that my daughter made varsity soccer. I'm so excited at 15. That's fantastic. But that's the big news of the day, right? I, I jokingly, we had the COO of Etsy. Um, we interviewed her today. Uh, brilliant. You know, she had worked at Alibaba, um, worked at Evernote. And, and I lied to her and told her I got this shirt from Etsy. I didn't. I bought it off Facebook. But, you know, I kiss up. But the same thing, that platform on, on buying those, I look at those platforms and what they're able to do at that scale. That's where I see social change coming in. I think what y'all are doing is fantastic, and I'm not trying to knock it. It's incredibly important, right? But I think to the average consumer, that's what I wonder about. Now, and Dan, I'm going to challenge you on that because you have to sell to consumers, right? Whenever I hear a fintech company tell me that, except you because your hair is you have the best hair I've ever seen. I always come back to When we first met, just so everyone knows, and we are doing this, we, 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 lined, we lined Dan up to come and speak at our event um, for DFI. Hadn't met yet, and I put a whole meme of you on like, the cover of GQ, you if sure I remember. Did. And you thought, what Thank is wrong that, with this guy? Yeah, his company loved that. But, but again, when I hear companies that come up and they're direct to consumer, 
I honestly, Zach, I like your model. Yeah, B2B. <laughs> I love B2B, right? However, there is that need. Yeah, like, look, I, I totally agree in the sense that B2C is, is hard. And I, it is a war of attrition, especially when you're talking about banking. But I also think we are in the early days of what it is to create value for consumers. I think that I we're that. scratching the surface. And we talked about this earlier today. But, like, this is a velocity game where right now you can make the claim that Coho is close to a checking account. And, uh, you know, we do some things better. But I think if you look at us in 18 or 24 months, it's a totally different value proposition. Here's why I agree with that. And I, and I do. Okay. Um, I do love B2C, by the way. If it's me, I'm a VC. I go down that game. Right. Cause I do think for you, it is a longer play. Right. It's harder. It's capital. It is. Well, we talked about this with robo advisors, right? There was this massive push on robo advisors. The reality is they need assets under management and it's a long haul. They need to keep those assets and continue to grow them. Whereas if Fidelity, I already got all those customers. I got that money. I build your same solution. I'm done. Much easier. Right. But I think it's interesting because I think we do. I think we look at this the wrong way. And here's what I mean by that. If you go back to 2006, that's when I moved to the UK. Right? That's when I first met two of my friends in the room. Yes, John and Dean, I used to work with at Tesis, right? When I went there, 2006, iPhone wasn't out yet. Facebook, I don't believe, was around. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't what it was, right? Um, we can say the same with Netflix. We can talk about, you know, platform after platform. And I remember when Facebook was really, I keep going back to Facebook because of the stats that we heard at Intertribe. I remember when Facebook had their IPO. Y'all remember the talk about how it was actually going to bomb because they didn't do mobile? I would argue one of the best platforms at doing mobile right now is Facebook. They absolutely dominate the market from a, a Western aspect, right? Outside of China. China's weird. I mean, and we need to do a China show, right? I mean, it's just, everything's different. But you look at that massive growth they had, and it's only 2017. So I would agree with you on the long play. It's, but how do you survive that? Yeah, Barb's hand just went up. You moved to Winnipeg. You don't move to Winnipeg. Okay. <laughs> That's the name of so, this episode. I probably can't go home now, so I'll, I'll be looking for a spot in your house. But I mean, I've been doing this now my entire career. I haven't, this is my only real job. And I still can't convince my own father to deposit into the ATM. And my sister wow. yells at me about things that she can't do on the internet that she wishes she could. And I tell her there's a solution for that. But she is totally unwilling to switch. So even in those unscientific immediate family situations that I'm sure we all rely on in some way. I can't even convince my own family to do the things that I work hard on doing every day. And I think it goes back to some of that stuff that we talked about earlier, that people literally trust the banks here. Like disrupting that trust or that inertia of this is what I've always done is so hard. Good word. Inertia. Because I have a story on that. It's one of my favorite stories. My last job when I worked at that large consulting firm. Um, we sat in the office, the corner office on Lexington Avenue in New York with the CEO of one of the top three banks in the country and arguably in the world. And we met with them. We were so excited. We finally got this meeting with the CEO, right? We had killed ourselves to get it. That's the meeting you want. There's three of us. We went up there. We sat down. We're like, yes, we're about to make millions. And we sat down. We're like, what can we do? Typical consultant speak. What can we do to help you? And the dude looked like he was the most depressed person I've ever seen, right? And he just kept sighing. And we're like, what the hell? Is going on. We're like, no, honestly, what, what can we do to help? And he's like, overcome inertia. Help us overcome inertia. We can't make a decision on anything. We talk and we talk and we talk and we pay you guys to do studies. And by the way, they did because I think we did three platform analysis for them and made you know, millions that were PowerPoint decks that went nowhere. 
but it, there's this exact line, overcome inertia. He left, is running a very large um, POS company right now, and I see him all the time. He's the happiest man I've ever seen in my life. One, because when he did is when Chip and Sig rolled out in the U.S. and every single device got resold, and he made a fortune, I'm sure, in doing that. All right, so one last story, all right, that I want to touch on, and it's actually not one that was on our list, but it's one that the guys that shall not be named, we're going to call him Johnny, yet again raised. New story just came out today. Evidently, they're, they're building a tech zone here in Toronto focused on tech. So you guys going to open up your office there, Chris? Is that the idea? <laughs> I think I mean there's a there's a lot of cool stuff going on here like that. I think I think being a part of a zone like that I think is exciting. So it, I, I thought it was more about smart city though, isn't it? Like it's, it's kind of a smart city play, so which, which well, like I think they're they're looking at it as like trying to envision and create the city of the future, where where you know more things are automated. Smarter infrastructure, smarter technology. So the fiber optics, the 5G. Exactly. Yeah. IoT everywhere. Yeah, Google Fiber. Yeah. Which begs the question, like, where does where, where does payments plug into smart cities? Like, where, how do we like how do we envision? You know, the, if we're going to envision the future of cities, you know, do do payments get more? You know, get get somehow kind of more embedded? Right? Like, it yeah. should disappear, right? It should be in my like in my shoe or something. When I walk into the subway, it just automatically knows who I am, debits my account. Did you say in your shoe? In my shoe, you know, I'm thinking like. <laughs> Chris, Johnny, be quiet. I don't want to. I don't want to pull my phone out. I just want to walk across the sensor. Just get smart. Shoe pay, like shoe pay is coming, right? Whoa. Okay, what you can't see, listeners, is there's literally one, two, three, four. There's seven beers sitting in front of you. But no, but I do the, the idea of because I mean we joke around, but the idea of and we've heard this, Johnny. And group over there. The idea that when does the actual smartphone die? That's a whole nother. What's the next platform, right? Which we see more and more about the clothing, right? And the, even the temporary tattoos, you take your pick, yeah. right? And when you do talk the city of the future, and the, it would be the, 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 the payment is gone, right? It's just there. Like, why does it need to be anything? Why can't it be everything? Right. So an RFID Ooh, tag is, so, is so easy to create. It's relatively inexpensive and getting cheaper. I could have an RFID tag on everything that I own that no matter what I do, what I want to do just happens. So see that new CMO now? That sounded like a really great no. tagline for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not a CTO? <laughs> we just saw Coho morph into, you know. I, I, here's what I do like. I like the idea of, of that smart city approach. And here's why. I grew up in Detroit, right? So you talk about a city that imploded, right? Detroit is the, I don't know, what's the equivalent in the U.K.? Yeah, Hull. The Hull. That was all easy. I love the UK. I traveled all over. I went to Hull and I was like, oh my God, I'm in Cleveland. It was bad. Um, yeah, one left. One guy has been over there and went, yep, that's, that's right. He's been to Hull. Um, but what's happening in Detroit right now, I find fascinating because there's a little bit of overlap right there, right? Uh, Dan Gilbert from Quicken, I believe it's Quicken, but Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers of all teams, but has bought a ton of property on the cheap in Detroit. Now they have something called Tech City. Where again, the way they're doing the tax breaks and the structures for that, they are desperately bringing in. I believe Google has come in. I think Facebook has a couple of others. You go to Dubai, they have Media City, Tech City. They have news. Uh, I think it's Media City set up, and it's very interesting how they structure the the tax um, setup for them to bring them in. Uh, there's a city in Georgia that volunteered to rename themselves Amazon. 
to get an Amazon distribution center there. <laughs> True story. In Jacksonville, where I live, there's two massive distribution centers, and they're hiring like crazy. In Jacksonville now, we love Amazon. One, because when I order the fidget spinner, I literally get it. I click pay, and there's a ring at my door, and they're standing there with the fidget spinners, but it can come that quick. So I do like the idea, personally, of, of building those out. However, I would rather not see it in Toronto. No offense. I'd like to see it in... Winnipeg's pitching for Amazon's new HQ 2.0. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Every Canadian city. I think every Canadian city is. And and who do you think is going to win, right? I mean, that's the the interesting part about that. But, yeah, I like the idea of this smart city and building it for the future. Like, I think, you know, aside from getting a a major development center or a second headquarters for Amazon, I'd just like to get, like, Alexa here. I mean, Alexa is for some reason boycotting Canada. I'm not sure what we did to offend her. Okay, is he, I mean, is he serious right now? <laughs> yeah, there's no, there, there, there is no, um, you know, you can't get the Echo Dot. You can't, you, you can't get house. Alexa. I got here. one literally in like every room. No, I know, but then you, like, then you have to do all kinds of weird things to get it to work in Canada. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure what we did to offend her, but we're sorry. Like, it's Canada, right? What, what we've learned, and this is very important. She always want to go back and reflect on what we've learned. If you live in Canada, it's freaking cold, so you learn how to code. That's important. Okay. Alexa doesn't work because of the accent, right? Yeah. I mean, it's in, in Winnipeg, oh, good God, right? It's cold as, as all get out. You know, we're going to have to investigate that because voice is, when we talk about what's new, right? The platform is moving more and more to voice. And Chris, you, you are a, a fountain of knowledge. I see why Dan hired you. It's shoot me. It's shoot me. <laughs> Which we weren't actually ready to launch yet. But. <laughs> we're patenting that tonight. Is there like a 24-hour website? <laughs> we are questioning every decision Dan has made in the past year. All right, uh, that's a good place to close. Because <laughs> one, there's a cake just waiting to be eating and uh, we need more beer. Uh, on that note, let's wrap this up. It's a great show. We want to thank every single one of our guests. Folks, we'll have links out to be able to follow the companies as they do. Follow them on Twitter. They're incredibly active. Um, it, one, it really was exciting to get Barb actually here. No, it really is because you're considered part of the family. She came in and we were trading T-shirts back and forth. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on Twitter or at FinTech Insiders on Facebook or on our FinTech Insider page. Like I said, you might show up on a future show. You can also follow us on YouTube for exclusive content of our week here in Toronto. I, and I've got to give a shout out to um, Ollie and Michael, but what they have done, the video and the audio that they shot in the day has literally gone out that same night. The impressions we had today from the video from Ripple, I think within like an hour and a half, it was really, oh, I think it was over 10,000. It was ridiculous, the work that they're able to, to turn out. If you like what you heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes and thank you for listening. I'm Sam Mall. It's been exciting. Oh, thank you for the audience. We actually had an actual crowd here. <laughs> and we're oot. Did I say that right? Oot. We have cake, people. And peacock.